Hello and good morning from the folks at Maybank Kimming's ASEAN Speaks podcast. Although it is good news to hear that we are seeing some pockets of economic green shoots in ASEAN, the trends that we have seen so far are not consistent across countries. Vaccine economics aside explaining for much of the variance, Singapore's inflation trends from the property sector have surprised central bank regulators and the spectre of property cooling measures may lead to risks of premature tightening. As you said, inflation is picking up. Uh, MES also raised their headline inflation by a full percentage point. Uh, we are you know, we're on a high side on inflation side and we're warning about overshoot, overshooting risks. Um, clearly, energy prices have risen up. You know, COE premiums are surging. There are foreign worker shortages as well, which is also driving up wages. Uh, but some of the other interesting components is actually uh, rents, for example. Uh, accommodation costs are actually quite high, a uh, large 22% weight in the CPI basket. Uh, we would have thought that layoffs and foreigners leaving, rents might be still dampened. Uh, but so far, rents are actually rising. On the flip side of the coin, property measures in Thailand are more supportive, which opens up the possibility of a pair trade opportunity opening up between Thailand and Singapore property LISCOs. Coming to this year, I see that the investors seem to bet on the vaccination as well as possible new stimulus. Uh, there was a talk on proposal to relax rules for foreigners to buy property in Thailand, uh, including the buy high-end landed property, uh, in million baht per unit, raise the limit of foreign ownership quota on condominium project from the current 49% and also extend the leasehold term from 30 years to 50 to, to uh, 40 and 50 years. Included in today's agenda, we will also discuss about laggards like the Philippine stock market and also get an update from our fixed income team on Huarong's default status and Malaysia's latest round of Gavi issuance. We now head back to our discussion with Hak Bin on ASEAN's GDP growth outlook and the Singapore property sector following which Suhaimi Elias, co-head of the Macro Research Desk, will moderate the show from here on. Yeah, hey, good morning. Um, so maybe I'll kick off with Singapore first, and then Julie can follow up with Thailand and Indonesia. Uh, but yeah, it's very clear that Singapore is the exception, um, and clearly because the rollout of the vaccine is also very uneven. So uh, I think GDP growth surprised an upside in the first quarter for, for Singapore. It actually turned positive already. Um, so plus 0.2% year on year, and we've raised our full-year forecast for 6.2%. Um, Singapore has already, um, you know, vaccinated about 23% of the population, or at least first shot. Um, you know, next down the ranks will be Indonesia, 4%, Malaysia, just slightly over 2%. But really, the rest of ASEAN, Thailand, Philippines, Vietnam, have not even inoculated 1% of the population. So it's really, really uneven. Um, perhaps the other thing to highlight is that actually MES in the uh, policy assessment in April um, is a lot more upbeat. And they actually came out to say that the uh, growth this year will probably be above MTI's forecast of 4 to 6%. Um, as you said, inflation is picking up. Uh, MES also raised their headline inflation by a full percentage point. Uh, we are you know, we're on a high side on inflation side, and we're warning about overshoot, overshooting risks. Um, clearly, energy prices have risen up. You know, COE premiums are surging. There are foreign worker shortages as well, which is also driving up wages. Uh, but some of the other interesting components is actually uh, rents, for example. Uh, accommodation costs are actually quite high, a uh, large 22% weight in the CPI basket. Uh, we would have thought that you know, layoffs and foreigners leaving, rents might be still dampened. Uh, but so far, rents are actually rising. HDB rents are actually up 3.5% year on year. For condos, up 2.4%. So that's providing some support for the property market, but it will also drive up um, in inflation. So far, Oh, look, um, MES held a policy 
neutral in April, but I think uh, there's a chance that if inflation overshoots, and I suspect in the coming months, inflation will easily cross over 2% for headline and possibly even cross over 3% in part because of low base. So with the inflation overshoot and growth continues to firm, there is a chance that they may shift back to a slightly slight appreciation bias in October. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'll start with Thailand. Uh, so for Thailand, we've recently uh, downgraded our 2021 GDP forecast to 2.7% uh, from the previous 3.5%. Uh, given the impact of the third and most severe COVID-19 wave, our uh, cases have exceeded 2,000 daily uh, over the weekend. And uh, this has also prompted calls for stricter lockdowns. Uh, the Phuket reopening plan, which was uh, slated for 1st of July, is probably going to be delayed as well. And uh, Thailand does not have sufficient monetary policy space at this point uh, with interest rate at uh, record low of 0.5%. And hence, the burden will be on fiscal policy uh, to provide assistance during this crisis. Uh, according to the Budget Bureau, uh, there's 300 billion baht of funds to support the economy against this fresh outbreak. Uh, 250 billion comes from the remaining funds of the 1 trillion baht loan decree last year. And there was also 40 billion baht, which was set aside as the central budget. Uh, public debt has climbed to 53.2% of GDP as of February, but it remains below the debt ceiling of 60%. Uh, the cabinet has recently approved the expansion of the 210 billion baht uh, WeWing cash handout scheme, uh, which provides 7,000 baht per person over two months. Uh, they are going to cover 2.4 million more people. Uh, and PM Prayuth has also added that he is looking at extending some of the uh, consumption stimulus schemes into the uh, second and third quarters as well. Uh, for Indonesia's case, uh, we expect BI to maintain its policy rate at 3.5% for the rest of 2021. Uh, BI is not uh, concerned about the return of inflation, given that uh, demand remains weak and uh, there is adequate supply. Uh, headline CPI is soft uh, at 1.4% in March, uh, and core CPI has eased to another record low of 1.2%. Now, further easing of the policy rate will be unlikely because of the pressure on the rupiah, which has fallen to a five-month low against the USD uh, because of the rising US bond yields. Instead of using monetary policy, uh, BI's macroprudential policies, uh, such as easing lending rules for car and housing purchases, which was introduced uh, for March to May, combined with the Ministry of Finance waiver of luxury taxes for vehicles, uh, seems to be having some impact on consumer sentiments. Uh, if you look at car sales data, uh, it rose by 11% from the previous year. Uh, that was the first increase in March, and uh, it was the highest level since December 2019. Uh, BI also continues to stand to uh, purchase government bonds from the primary market to finance the 2021 uh, budget deficit. Uh, so far, it has purchased around 100 uh, trillion rupiah or 7.1 billion US dollars as of 16th April. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Benjui. So quite clearly on macro, um, what we have is uh, the narrative of recovery this year is still there. It's just that uh, we're going to see divergent in terms of strength and speed of this recovery. But Hakbin, uh, just very quickly, uh, you mentioned that inflation is also kind of creeping into property side uh, in Singapore. Is there any risk of property cooling measures in Singapore? Is just too too premature? Yeah, that's a tough call, I think, for the government, right? Because I think, um, you know, cracking in too early could also, um, you know, hurt the growth recovery. And um, and a lot of buyers are actually upgraders, you know. So, um, uh, so there's a risk, but I guess, um, you know, and I think uh, bearing in mind that also 
the existing property measures, you know, uh, whether it's the loan to value ratio, you know, which is 75% for the first property, 45% for the second, and also TDSR is already quite restrictive. Um, there is also no clear evidence that the foreign buyers are coming back in a very, very big way. They're, they, they are picking up, but nothing close to the 17, 18% of the property transactions that we saw during the boom. And also mortgages growth is only just, uh, you know, turning slightly positive now, so slightly above zero. So there is a very hard to argue from a financial stability point of view that the that the bank that the mortgage lending is risky at this point, and household debt is actually have been rather flat as a share of GDP. So it's possible, but I think it would probably more be a, a tweak rather than a dramatic measure. Bear in mind is there's also um, it's really the supply side that were you know cooling down of the end sales last year. Uh, all the their delays in the HDB deliveries because of the COVID and the foreign worker shortages, and of course the replacement cost is also going up. You know, so with all the materials and so on. So I think uh, I think the Bagami also have addressed some of the issues uh, on the supply side. Right. Thanks, uh, Abin. Now let's catch up with Winston on fixed income. Um, the big news on bond market last week was the successful insurance of uh, Malaysia's sovereign dollar suku and Petronas dollar bonds. Uh, they were both oversubscribed. Issuances were actually upsized. Uh, Winston, what does that tell us about fixed income investors' flows and sentiment on Malaysia bonds specifically and on regional or EM uh, bonds generally? Hi, morning. Yeah, the bonds uh, demand, especially the dollar credits, um, is still quite strong. Um, last week, the total issuance actually jumped um, to the fastest pace. Um, from the beginning of the year. So I think um, the timing was really good for Malaysia on tapping on the dollar bond market. Um, we first had the sovereign. Uh, sovereign issuance, the demand was strong. They raised an upsize 1.3 billion in a two-part offering. One is the 10-year and the other one is the 30-year bonds. And the 10-year tranche is a, is a special one because it's the first ever sustainability um, so-called and the pricing was was quite tight. Um, plus 50 bips for the 10-year and plus 80 bips um, for the 30-year over treasuries. So um, Malaysia supply usually has got the scarcity value. So if they add the sustainability label, it literally enhances the demand further and widening the investor base. So on the heel of um, strong demand for the sovereign bonds, Petronas actually also launched uh, dollar bond insurance. So they raised a total of 3 billion from 10-year and 40-year bonds. And yeah, I would say the pricing on the back of strong demand was actually quite tight, um, especially for the 10-year slightly inside the Petronas assisting curve. Um, but by the way, can you also provide an update on China, Huarong asset management bond issue? I mean, are things stabilizing or are there more drama coming? Yeah, Huarong, in terms of bond market volatility, still there. From the lowest level, about two uh, two weeks ago, the bond prices have recovered, I would say about 10 cents of a dollar, but they are still trading at very um, high yield level. Um, I think at one point, I would say it was distressed, um, but currently have improved to a high yield level comparable to about single B, the kind of credit, but I'm not forgetting Parung um, is a central SOE and um, is a blue chip um, uh, IG name with a rating that's comparable to Malaysia. So you can see that in terms of market pricing, investor worry uh, is still there. 
The latest development being uh, the PPOC, uh, there were news that the PPOC said it's going to take over 100 billion RMB of assets from Huarong's unprofitable pro operations. In a way, um, they are trying to help clean up the balance sheet. Um, on another development is um, having missed the 31st March deadline to announce prelim financial results. They are going to miss a second deadline um, on 30th of April to submit the final results. So basically the reason mentioned is the auditors actually need more time to finalize and unspecified transactions. So the current uh, worry, I think, is not fully uh, taken away. That's why we can see uh, in terms of bond prices, for the near-term bonds, I think um, the market expectation is generally for the government to make good the payment. You can see the bonds maturing in 2021. They are trading back to above 90 cents a dollar. But for the mid-tenor ones, let's say in 2025 and 2026, they are about 80 cents um, a dollar. Whereas for the um, subordinated PERP, which ranks much lower in terms of the hierarchy of claims in the event of default, they are still at about 60 cents um, a dollar. Thanks, uh, Winston, on that update. Well, let's move on to equity. Um, quite a bit to cover. Uh, start with Anand on ASEAN equity strategy. Uh, we have high-flying Vietnam upgrade in Singapore's year-end index target, but there are cautions on India, Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia amid this uh, COVID-19 concern and implication to the strength and speed of recovery. Um, how should investors position themselves in this mixed bag of you know, regional equity markets? Yeah, hi, morning, guys. So I think the uh, you know the equity side it is really mirroring the uh, macro divergence we touched on uh, earlier in the call. So you have countries as you pointed out like Vietnam uh, and Singapore, which are up about eleven to twelve percent year to date in terms of their benchmark indices. And you know you have this other extreme uh, of countries which are really lagging in ASEAN, like the Philippines, which is the worst performer year to date, uh, down about ten percent. And also countries like Malaysia and, 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 and Indonesia, which are you know, trying to hold on to, uh, to gains uh, year-to-date, uh, but struggling. So I think the narrative for the equity markets is, is pretty clear. The countries which have uh, a very good handle or are perceived to have a good handle on COVID uh, and in terms of vaccination rollout uh, are really being rewarded by investors as being you know, uh, good, uh, dependable recovery plays. <clears throat> we know the vaccine rollout will, will accelerate in the second half for most of the lagging countries. Uh, like Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, and the Philippines. And I think the Philippines is particularly interesting from a, from a bargain hunting perspective, primarily because if you look beyond the, uh, the negative vaccine news flow, there's a lot of structural uh, changes being proposed at the policy level uh, that will be very good for the market longer term. Uh, I think uh, Jackie will touch on some of these a bit later, but you will recall that even last month, you know, we had the CREATE Act uh, talking about corporate tax cuts as well. So I think all that is being lost in the current um, COVID-focused news flow. And I think once the situation in the Philippines stabilizes, you could have a very uh, powerful recovery play for that market uh, over the medium term. So I would watch out for that. Right, thanks, Anand, uh, for the interesting take. So maybe it's good for me to uh, go to Jackie first to talk about Philippines. Uh, Philippines forging ahead with economic reforms and liberalizations after signing Create Act into law, uh, which among others lower corporate income tax rate from 30% to around 20-25%. Now, President Duterte is pushing for changes in Public Service Act, Foreign Investment Act, Retail Trade Liberalization Act, uh, obviously to ease foreign ownership restrictions and capital requirements to attract more FDI. Um, Jackie, what are the 
key changes proposed in these three acts and from equity market perspective, which sectors do you think will be potential winners and, and also losers? Yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, so for the three acts, mainly all the amendments are going to minimize foreign ownership restrictions and lower capital requirements for foreign players in a bid to attract more investments into the country. So more specifically, um, it proposes to completely lift the foreign ownership restrictions in public service, except for power and water utilities distribution. So this implies that the telcos, uh, the, tel- the telecommunications sector, um, transportation, infra, and other essential services can be fully owned by foreigners. Um, It also allows more foreign professionals like doctors or engineers to work in the Philippines. Um, And lastly, for retail, it reduces the capital requirements for foreign-owned retailers to operate in the country. So the amendments will theoretically raise the competition in the telecommunications, infrastructure, and retail sectors. However, for the telco industry, uh, there are no new frequencies to be distributed for new foreign players, uh, which means that competition will be kept within the existing players. Um, And the Philippine conglomerate's appetite for the infra for infra projects is quite low, um, such that new foreign players will actually be um, welcomed into the space. So actually, the only real loser will be the retail space, domestic retail. Um, overall, though, we think that uh, the developments should, the amendment should be positive for the property sector, given that foreigners are still not allowed to own land um, and will have to rely on domestic property companies to operate here. Also, on a lesser extent, um, the proposed revisions on enabling foreign professionals to work here should be positive for um, for the property sector and the public uh, and the uh, power and utility sector. Um, given that the Philippines imports a lot of technical skills still. Um, Jackie, um, which which sectors do you think would like basically would be kind of a neutral to all these changes if this if they happen? Um, sectors that will be neutral will definitely be the banks. Um, the banks and the conglomerate space. Right. Uh, thanks, Jackie. Now, speaking of banks, yeah. uh, let me bring in Tilan into the conversation. Uh, Tilan, Singapore Bank's first quarter 2021 result preview. Uh, short and sweet, straight to the point question from me, really. What's the outlook and what's the lookout? Sure. Morning. Um, yes, yeah, so the banks start reporting uh, from Friday this week. We're expecting signs of uh, stronger earnings momentum to come through on a quarter-on-quarter basis. Operating conditions are not likely to have normalized, but we think NIMS uh, should be better than 4Q, and loan growth should be picking up, uh, largely contributed by North Asia and in Singapore by the FIs uh, as well as mortgages. Uh, Non-interest income will be patchy with wealth and loan-related fees doing well, but credit cards uh, should still be down. Trading income should be strong given the market conditions that we saw in the first quarter, but unlike to see the levels that uh, the U.S. banks enjoyed in 1Q. Uh, in terms of provisions, we do expect to see some uh, deceleration, much like what we saw in 4Q. Uh, new NPL formation, as we ha- all know, have been a lot lower than expectation given the sort of stimulus measures that are in place. Uh, but we don't expect any reserve write-backs, um, unlike what we saw happening in the U.S. in 1Q. The regional COVID situation still... Is pretty um, uh, pretty tough, so I think the banks will be cautious. Uh, but as vaccine rollouts start to pick up, um, we should see some write-backs coming through around the second half of this year. 
Um, in terms of stocks, we like UOB uh, from uh, from a, the strongest potential to surprise right now, uh, given the sort of uh, NIMS uh, that we are expecting from them as well as from provisions coming off. Uh, Tilan, can you remind us again about Musk's sort of policy stance on banks' dividends? Yeah, so I mean, it's, they still haven't changed it um, from the initial pronouncement of 60% of 2019 levels. Um, I think most likely they'll start to uh, review it around June this year, and we're expecting them to start relaxing a little bit, uh, <clears throat> a little bit more. Uh, but we don't think it will go back to the sort of pre-COVID levels in a hurry, given the given the fact that you know the overall region is still a little bit um, uh, under pressure from COVID. Right. Thanks, uh, Tilan. Um, let's move on to Thailand, uh, Vanida. On property sector, you remain positive. Um, from that perspective, within the property segments, uh, which do you like the most, and which you think investors should position into condos, landed? industrial, commercial, and why do you like the state segments? Is it demand factor? Is it policy factor? Good morning for the Thai residential property. Actually, they have a good start this year with sector pre-sale growth of uh, 20% year-on-year, mainly from landed property. And earnings, upcoming earnings first quarter, we may see higher than 25% year-on-year growth uh, from healthy demand as well as improved margin. Given less price competition this year and no shutdown despite uh, the new wave of COVID outbreak. Landed property business has performed well since last year because people lifestyle has meaningfully changed toward more private space and health security. Coming to this year, I see that the investors seem to bet on the vaccination as well as possible new stimulus. Uh, there was a talk on proposal to relax rules for foreigners to buy property in Thailand, uh, including the buy high-end landed property, uh, 10 million baht per unit, raise the limit of foreign ownership quota on condominium project from the current 49% and also extend the leasehold term from 30 years to 50 to to uh, 40 and 50 years. Uh, according to the media report, this proposal are scheduled to be submitted to the authority by end of this month. But however, since there are always criticism and objection by locals uh, to selling landed property to foreigners, I think that this proposal may take time and particularly uh, during uh, this uh, moment when the government is busy trying to solve the new break, new wave of the COVID outbreak. <clears throat> because of several speculative factors, year-to-day share price of some condominium stock rally, and they are now trading at the premium valuation. So maybe in the short term, we expect a share price correction on this counter. Landed property developer are like that, uh, despite good earning and pre-sale performance. Our topic is still super high, should post the outstanding earning growth of almost 40% this year. Uh, they have the high proportion of the landed property business and also uh, around uh, 30% uh, exposure on the condominium. For industrial property, actually the land sale transaction may not be exciting uh, because of this uh, COVID outbreak and political uncertainty and also fierce competition from the neighboring country. We read the sector as negative 
and has a sale on Amata and WHA. However, rental income from warehouse and ready build factory are still in good shape uh, because of a healthy occupancy rate. The e-commerce data center logistic business are main growth driver. Investor can play these uh, wider reads, such as the FT read and WHART, both are paying for, uh, five to six percent yield per annum.